Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning everyone and welcome to another edition of the IRR show. I think this is our second sort of really active week in January and it already feels like we've been swamped by all things uh, political and related. Big Daddy Liberty is out on the road for the next few weeks, so it's it's me and and my guest. And uh, this today we're going to have Dr. Tians Irloff as guest talking about the problem with the concept of reconciliation in South African politics, which I've been very keen to uh, to look at. So we have that to look forward to. For now, uh, for the next 10 minutes, we'll be looking at what is going on politically around the world. And perhaps let's start locally uh, with those exciting little red and worrying characters, the the EFF, and more particularly their commander-in-chief, lovely title there, their commander-in-chief, uh, Julius Malema, wants to postpone the elections in, in August. Now, our municipal elections have to be held by no later than the end of August. They are held separately from national and provincial elections because they are they operate quite differently. The, the, municipal, the municipal environment operates quite differently. And in any event, uh, municipal officers are not, or councillors are not allowed to hold office for more than five years. So there would have to be a constitutional amendment to allow for this to happen. And then there would have to be legislation to set out how it would happen. Now, the seemingly laudable idea that you know, we've got COVID and distancing and these are the problems that would be faced by an election, which is, which are not, uh, are not to be disregarded. I believe is outweighed by the fact that the, the movement of the elections to 2024 when we have the national and provincial elections is very problematic. Uh, you know, assuming we get past the constitutional issues. And that is that your municipal elections very much result in governance closest to the people and very much re- rely on local and immediate issues and particularly, particularly service delivery. National issues and provincial issues of particularly national issues are more about policy. And what tends to happen is that the uh, ANC and the EFF do not do particularly well in municipal elections, or let's put it this way, not as well as they do at national. I mean, the, the EFF does not control a single municipality. So if you have the elections all clumped up together, you have national policy influencing and getting mixed up with the on-the-ground issues of service delivery by, by councillors and mayors. And frankly, that is highly, highly undesirable because they are so, so very, very different. And, and many people will vote for one party for municipal elections or an independent person and another entirely uh, for the national or provincial stream. The ANC has indicated that it kind of fancies this idea. So let's put it this way. Anything that the ANC and the EFF like the idea of, one has to watch very, very carefully. 
And then we come to a proposal by Judge Dennis Davis, whose uh, area of expertise academically is is tax. Um, he has proposed a, a once-off solidarity tax or surcharge to fund the large-scale rollout of vaccines. Now, the there probably would be less resistance to this idea than to almost any other form of taxation. But even if there was less resistance, there'd be a great deal of anger and and disregard by many of the people who would be responsible for t- for the tax paying, particularly because tax paying is is done by a very small um, a minority of the population, simply because when 13 years of ANC governance has resulted in 1.3 trillion rands worth of a theft, maladministration, and just and, and incompetence, there, it, there could have been money available to have dealt with this, or certainly there could have been more goodwill if more money was needed to have dealt with this. So no, I'm not sure it will be quite met with the enthusiasm uh, Judge Davis is hoping for. Last week, as I recall, uh, Judge Davis um, su- suggested that the, the taxation authorities uh, conduct lifestyle audits on, I suppose, the, the well-off, uh, who's, the people who have uh, apparently um, significant lifestyles. Um, it would certainly probably un- un- reveal or unveil a number of people who should be caught tighter in the tax net. But uh, I'm not sure, even with that being a relatively small, pro- small proportion of population, whether it, it would actually be uh, practically feasible. Anyway, nevertheless, here's an interesting, interesting story, and that is that a lady called Joni Fredericks from the Cape Flats outside Cape Town has started a women-only driving school to provide drivers for an all-female taxi service. Now, Ms. Fredericks is an activist turned entrepreneur, and this aims at helping to tackle the high rates of sexual assault by providing safe transport in what is unarguably one of the country's most crime-ridden areas. And this is quite interesting. It's quite impressive because it is tackling a very, very big issue. Um, we, we talk about gender-based violence frequently. And violence and harassment in and around the taxi industry of women is a horribly cor- common occurrence. And the idea of bro- both providing a service that is aimed at women and women's safety and of skilling up women in the taxi area, I think is a, is a very impressive idea of trying to tackle a number of issues which are both societal and entrepreneurial, and hopefully she will make a comfortable living, at least, out of doing such a thing. And then no week would ever be complete without uh, former President Jacob Zuma threatening not to appear. Not threatening. He's actually said he will not appear at the Zondo Commission, which he's supposed to do this week. And his, his lawyers have said he cannot be forced to appear because Zuma's lawyers have take, have appealed the decision by Judge Zondo not to recuse himself at the application of Zuma for being biased against Zuma. So what essentially the, the lawyers are saying is that until such time as that challenge has been has been heard, they, he, he cannot be required legally to attend at the commission. I'm not entirely sure of that, but more than anything, this is really more in the in the saga of let's do anything that is 
humanly, if not legally possible, to stop Zondo from from appearing before the Zondo, uh, sorry, Zuma appearing before the Zondo Commission, and uh, uh, this, it's almost almost sad to see the lengths to which uh, Zuma will go to to avoid appearance because if he says anything, it's bound to not be in his favour, and if he refuses to say anything, uh, the implication is that it's not in his favour. So all in all. Um, uh, he's caught between a rock and a hard place, but the, 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 the capture between the two is becoming tighter and tighter, a squeeze as time goes along. Um, then uh, just one item of overseas news, um, for those who may not have been aware, uh, President-elect Joseph Biden will be sworn in tomorrow as the 46th President of the United States of America. And the controversy and the violence and the the behavior of uh, soon-to-be former President Trump have created an environment around the swearing-in that is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to have, by all accounts, more personnel, more security personnel than uh, there are American troops in Afghanistan. Um, the mouths are going to be clear. People can't come into the public, public space to, uh, to support or protest it. So it's going to be interesting, and I think most of us will be, will be very relieved when it's over. However, soon-to-be President Biden faces probably his first real test, and that is that there's a, ca- a caravan of illegal migrants walking from Honduras through Guatemala to Mexico. And apparently he has asked the Mexican government and the Guatemalan government to do anything to make sure that they don't go any further in the next few days or at least until at least until he's sworn in. Now, this is a very problematic issue because uh, uh, it really tests the resolve as to whether to accede to the influx of illegal, illegal migrants that the left is keen on, or to be a lot more cautious because a whole lot of other groupings will be very very unhappy about it. But that's the lot of the president of the United States, and I think it's a good time to take our first ad break. IFM. 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back and thanks for staying with us. We have, I think, a very interesting next 20, 25 minutes. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Tians Erloff. Uh, Dr. Erloff uh, graduated and obtained a PhD in theology at what was Potterstrom University and we now know as the University of the Northwest. He also was a pastor in the Reformed Church of South Africa and became the Vice Chancellor of Northwest University, Potterstrom Northwest, uh, from 2002 to 2014. Um, I, I probably encountered him most uh, uh, most directly as the as the Executive Director of the F. W. De Klerk Foundation. Um, from 2016, and he resigned from the Board of Trustees on the 30th of April, 2020. I understand that Dr. Yeloff has been a fair critic of, of the idea of lockdown, but nevertheless, he is a chair of numerous institutions and, as I gather, an independent consultant. Welcome, Jens. Have I more or less got that right? More or less. Thank you very much. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, researching can be a, a tricky, a tricky. Most, thing. Mostly correct. No, nothing wrong there. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, just the reason I was particularly keen to speak to you was uh, you wrote an article for Politics Web last week, 
I think it was last week or the week before, dealing with the speech the President Cyril Maposa gave on the Day of, of Reconciliation late last year. And what particularly picked my interest is your comment that one of his core messages that did not attract a lot of attention and wasn't commented on uh, was the following, quote, We cannot move forward with the process of meaningful reconciliation if policies around economic transformation, affirmative action and land reform are resisted. And you said essentially what he was saying, that is, it's not possible without the policy of racial transformation, um, which is black and only black economic empowerment, affirmative action in terms of race and land reform in terms of race. Without those, uh, reconciliation can't occur. Just to comment, I'd like to make that I'd like you to comment on is one of the things that's always uh, concerned me about the idea of reconciliation is it's a movable feast. It is what any politician wants to, to be at any given time. And the fact that it's now has to be postponed until some glorious utopian is reached, utopian idea is reached when everyone is racially and gender wise properly represented in society, I think is both uh, destructive and rather creepy um am i overstating it and i don't think so i think i think we get we get too used to these kind of messages and when i when i read that speech i sort of made a mental note to write something about it in my first article i i i write every three weeks for network 24 network 24 which is the afrikaans version of news 24 and i and i realized that you know people hadn't even commented on that because mm-hmm. I think we just get used to these type of things. And it's all framed within the ideology, and I call it an ideology, mm-hmm. of racial transformation and dem- demographic representativity, which works on the formula of, of the racial composition of South Africa, 80% African, 9% white, 9% mm-hmm. little brown, and 2% Indian. Um, and, and as you say, you know, that, that is the big framework in which this is, and it's nonsense. Uh, now there are quite a number of moral uh, arguments against this. You know, you can use the constitution, et cetera, et cetera. What I tried to do in, in the article, uh, which I translated for Politics Web, is to advance four reasons that are more pragmatic and, 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 and more, um, uh, based in, 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 in facts, um, and in consequences that this is, this is not, you know, a correct, uh, um, point of departure. Can I, before we go on, get to the, that point, uh, can I just look at the, the idea of, of, tra- of transformation and representativity, Democrat being aligned to de- democratic, rep- sorry, demographic representativity yes. is that it's, Seemingly fair, but in practice, it's likely to be both unfair, unproductive, and it's social engineering of the worst possible kind. And I say that in reference to the fact that all successful, all successful societies work on the basis that, that people choose what they want to be and where they want to go. And hopefully, and this is one of the problems of Africa, would be educated to the extent that they want to be in order to do so. And by doing this, you are saying, you're, you're cutting across that sort of, shall we say, messy norm in that you do not have 80% of the population in any category of employment anywhere in the world. Uh, you have greater representativity in one area than in another, more women in one area than in another, et cetera, et cetera. And there's something about this sort of 
engineering that brings to mind as much the sort of communist regimes of the past as it, it also brings into mind the fascist regimes of the past, such as uh, the Nazi era in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and added to that, of course, is the fact that, you know, it's a majority needing this so-called transformation while you've got it, it just a minority that you're acting against. It, it, it doesn't make any numerical sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the arguments I, I, I put. It, it doesn't make sense that if um, 9% of your population is white, let's say, let's talk about racial categories, and it's actually not 9% anymore. Indications are it's closer to 8% now. And you want to push them out to bring in the, the African majority. You are actually being counterproductive. Um, I remember Brian O'Connell, who was an ANC member and who was also, um, he was head of the education department of the Western Cape and later vice chancellor of the University of the Western Cape. And he, he told me that it is a matter of time, his view was, that it is a matter of time before the African majority finds its rightful place with economic empowerment, with uh, educational empowerment. Why should we now, at a university for instance, appoint people from the African section who are not equipped to do the job? You you rather use the people you have and who, who are equipped and empowered to to do the job and train and, and, and uh, prepare the way for the others. And we haven't done that. We've decided to do to do legislation um, and to force companies and people. And I mean, the consequences are, are destructive, absolutely, mm-hmm. to the economy and, and elsewhere. Isn't one of the problems that you get the impression, the political impression, that somehow there is a time frame by which um, all of that should have happened? And if it can't happen um, through a proper sort of process of learning and upskilling, uh, we'll force it to happen. And really, you know, the one thing when you're trying to overcome a legacy like apartheid is you certainly want things to happen, but but they, you can't just make them happen. The, the people have to be educated into into uh, being able to study or learn further in order to to uh, carry out a job. And added to that is, as linked to what you've said, is that there's no way the white population or any of the minority populations can fill the gaps. That position is actually just going to get uh, larger and larger. No minority would be able to run the economy or run the civil service or run all the sporting bodies. That's just numerically impossible. And that's what I I think doesn't make any sense. The the problem is, Sarah, that what this does, this, this thing works with the collective guilt. So the ANC said, look, we... We need to make everything representative, so let's use the 80% Africans to get the majority to take charge. Yeah. Um, I'm not against the fact that the consequences of apartheid must be eradicated. I'm against the way the ANC is trying to do it by, by racial superiority or racial, um, racial majority. And what happens is that people then are, are appointed uh, into positions which they cannot perform. They can't perform the job. And that, I make the point, leads to not only them not taking individual responsibility, but inevitably, it's human nature, it leads to a culture of entitlement, and I want more. And then I think for the first time, and probably one that will have to, to defend this on a scientific basis, but I think psychologically, 
entitlement leads to corruption because I'm entitled to the job. I want to have more. And then I, I, I turn to corruption and bribery. And so that, that I think is a start. So I actually make, you know, the counterpoint to the president that not only is it, is it the reverse that we won't have proper reconciliation if we carry on with these racially uh, based uh, legislation, but we also uh, make sure that a part of the majority who should be empowered are actually more and more entitled and they don't do their job. Mm. No. And the threat that sort of reconciliation can only be achieved if we do these essentially unnatural things um, is, is very worrying because it, it makes sure that you've always got some or other scapegoat for, as, a, as a government for your own failures. Yes. And, yeah. There was, for instance, there was a, uh, and I, let me just say, I think ideology, and ideology has, has the, the power to sort of creep into, um, sometimes unknowingly, into the thought processes of people. Now, this past Sunday, there was a, there was a, a, a report in the report newspaper mm. about a, a retired judge, white Afrikaans, who was told you can't help us anymore with uh, because you're an additional establishment. So that sounds okay. We you know we don't want to pay you more. But then someone made the point: judges are paid for life. So mm. this cost used this white Afrikaans judge to help with the big load of on, on the on the bench uh, to to lighten that was just a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, we don't need more whites, we need more blacks, but we can have this white for free, but we don't mm. use it. So I think mm. that's, that's the concern I have, is, is that it, 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 it does creep into our thinking and to, into people's thinking, and it has very bad consequences. Well, isn't that then just, just racism, in fact? Um, I, I heard or read, I can't remember at this stage, but a very, very apt comment, and that was that any society that does not place merit at the very top of its criteria for for action within a society will fail. And and that really is the situation here, at the risk of perhaps stretching out the time by which you would have many more um, uh, blacks or women in, in, in very senior positions. If you keep – if you if you make merit first, okay. uh, your, your whole society – is, is likely to do very much better in, in every single sphere. And I heard a, a story about a sort of long-standing financial commentator hearing when they were talking about replacing the, the CEO of Pick and Pay, um, young, very obviously very uh, educa- well-educated and capable, a young black analyst said, why aren't we talking about blacks and women? And, of course, the answer that should have been, which wasn't, was blacks and women come certainly could be talked about, but competence has got to be talked about first. Mm, absolutely. And that, unfortunately, we see in the civil service. Mm. Um, we've got a, a failed or failing state, uh, if not failed, and often you hear someone complain, a spokesman, saying we've got a, a lack of capacity, and they never say where does this come from. Mm. And I can tell you it comes from Empowerment, it comes from entitlement, actually, uh, and it comes from wrong racially-based policies. Um, and they, they, I mean, that's the sort of elephant in the room um, that, that we don't talk about. The, the other point, uh, you know, I think that is important for minorities, um, and whether they be religious or, or, or racial minorities, is that the, the essence of this whole 18, 9, 18992 formula 
is that minorities should never be in charge anywhere in the country in their own mm. sphere. And I've often said to Afrikaners, uh, you know, the, the problem with this is that there's no, uh, at least theoretical reason, why the 18992 principle shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be implemented for Afrikaans Christian churches. And the same mm. goes with Jewish synagogues. I mean, mm. the principle does not exclude religion. So mm. one day it's, it's, feasible that the government will say, look, by the way, um, we think this Jewish uh, synagogue doesn't have enough. <laughs> you, you know, we, we're going to censure you for that. And that's mm. so the, the, the fact is that a minority should have, I think, the, the spirit of our constitution is that a minority should have the right in its own sphere, in its own area, in its own, whether it's a cultural or a religious, should would, should be able to be in the majority, even though they're a minority in the country. Mm. And that, I think, does not, is not taken into account by the mm. policy. I think the, the, the problem, one of the problems is that the, the government, or the government, anyone who sort of supports the government line, um, doesn't either accept or take any cognizance of the fact that minorities actually just want to contribute. Um, if, if, the, if, if people generally are asked to help or uh, come into a position that can improve the lives of the employees under them, they, they, they don't have some nefarious sort of, uh, uh, sort of white supremacy idea of, of doing something untoward. They just want to contribute. And, they, you know, for their own sakes as well as for the societies. And that should be good for society, should it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think there, there are a few symbols of, of, uh, of whiteness that, that often uh, are interpreted as being uh, against uh, progress and against contribution, but they are so far and few between. Mm. I mean, even in the, in the Afrikaans uh, community, an organization like AfriForum has shown that if it, if it works in a local municipality to restore water uh, mm. to the community they, they, or, 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 or a sewage, they don't say, look, only whites may use this. Mm. They say this is for the community, uh, even though they have a, they, you know, their point of departure is their own community, which mm. is white. Mm. And I think often uh, the majority of our people, uh, you know, react to that and say, yeah, but mm. they just want for themselves. But mm. we are at such a stage that we need all the skills. And that's why I'm, I'm asking the question, why do you want to alienate minorities mm. on a racial basis out of the economy and basically tell them you can't own a business anymore if it's not 51% owned by blacks. If you have the majority and you will soon, in the foreseeable future, have the majority say in the economy also. Mm. You know, politics, that's already done. And that, and this is almost, you know, it's very politically incorrect to say this, but one almost thinks that it could be a very deep-seated sense of inferiority. Mm. Uh, that that I think is not good for is not necessary. It's not good for the country. It's not good for the, for Africans. I think one of the tragedies in that is is to the extent that this, that exists. It's it's if the one thing that can build people's sense of confidence and and ability and and meaning is education. And in, certainly in the last thirteen years at least, the government has let down. The people of South Africa so, so badly in that regard. I mean, education, certainly for, I mean, I'm Jewish coming from, uh, you know, all the horrors that you, that, that you can imagine. The only way 
the way up and the way out was education. And uh, my father and his generation were very much that, that education. And, and they faced um, a fair amount of discrimination. But th- that was what mattered. Everything else could flow as a result. Mm, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, it's not you and me who are saying this. Angie Macheja is on record saying that the education system has failed, the, the basic education system. And the problem is that we don't, we then don't get over it. We don't get it fixed. Uh, now there are many reasons. That's that's a topic for another for the another <laughs> But but the it's accepted, and it's not only education in the sort of theoretical form, school education or even university education. It's especially technical education. It's especially training. I mean, the seaters are, are mired with with corruption and, and, and mm. mismanagement. So companies must go back where they thought that the government would provide through the seaters enough training for for technical capabilities. Companies must now go back and start training for their own purposes, which is not about, but it's the not, point is we don't have enough. We have not empowered enough people to do, to get jobs and to do jobs. Okay. Um, Jens, if we can just take an ad break, I'd like to come back after the ad break just to cover a few other issues. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back and welcome to my conversation with Dr. Tunes Ialov um, on the issue of does reconciliation come before or after racial transformation. You mentioned in your article, uh, Tunes, that uh, the economy is viewed as something static by the government, by the ANC. It's a zero-sum game. You, you've got what you've got in front of you. Whatever you want goes to the one, the rest goes to the other, and nothing else shall happen. And the thing that's most worrying about that is I think that still persists and was most almost uh, emotionally um, expressed by Tito Mbaweni in, in a tweet late last year in saying he could not explain market economics to his colleagues. And there seems to be an inability to understand that the advantage with markets is that people do what they think is good for them and their families, and in so doing, they do do good for other people because they need those people, those employees, to do good as well. In other words, you know, what if you do something that's worthwhile for a society, it will always have greater benefits than you alone. Yes. I can only agree. It's a tragedy, and there are too few people in government who understand business. And, and let me let me be even more critical. I don't think there's there are many cabinet ministers or even members of parliament who have ever run their own business. Mm. Uh, you know, even the president who, who inherited through black economic empowerment a large uh, com- company and companies was the chairman of those companies. Now mm. I am also a chairman of a listed company, and it takes time to understand how that company works. Mm. Um, and there are very few uh, politicians who, who have you know, really run this. Mm. And therefore, if there's, a, if there's a, a, a ban on economic activity during COVID, it's done out of a health perspective, but they don't understand what it does to a small business. Mm. Um, and so, so it's not just broad economics. Uh, it's also the, literally how do you do, how do you get in, uh, um, you know, your, your uh, provisions, how do you sell them, how do you, how important is cash flow, how important are customers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it's both the microeconomics mm. and the macroeconomics. Now, let me just say, Sarah, I think it is true that in the, in the last 10, 15 years, the 
if one can call it the, the capitalist system, has become under pressure um, mm. for, 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 for failure in, in certain aspects. But I remember when I was a, a law student, uh, we had a professor, Johan von der Pfeiffer, mm. who, when, we, when we discussed uh, democracy, he said, gentlemen, uh, democracy is, is like sex. If it doesn't, uh, if it works well, it works very well. It's very good. If it doesn't work, it's still the best we have. And, and that's the way the <laughs> market economy <laughs> Obviously, I think we must do adjustments. There are some adjustments. But that doesn't mean that we can go to a, a sort of a pseudo or a, a, a naked social system because mm. that's proven to have failed over and over again. So I'm not, I'm not uh, blind to the, the, the problems of, of what we can call a capitalist system. But mm. I think adjustments are much better than going the other way. I think it's a case of that capitalism isn't that socialism is largely a fairly narrow set of, of economic options, whereas capitalism can adjust. It's, it's, it doesn't always do the right things, but it's, it's the best available. And I think there was a, someone, there's a quote I read somewhere that if socialists understood capitalism, they wouldn't be socialists. And I think that's essentially true because what, what the problem that, that most worries me with, with, with the sort of the moral righteousness of, of socialism is that it it doesn't really take account of the way man operates, how he mm-hmm. thinks, how he works, um, how even communities work. Um, they are they are messy things. They people work ostensibly selfishly um, to achieve what is good for them, and as I said earlier, achieve the the, the ratchet effects from from that. Absolutely. And I also think socialism is largely a collective, uh, a collective drive, if you wish. You know, it, it's sort of this big, this big dream and vision, but it doesn't take into account that it involves individuals. Um, and that's, in a sense, also a criticism I have of, of the racial transformation ideology, and that is that it works with collectives. Um, now, any legislation in the world, by and large, there are here and there uh, some some exceptions work with individual responsibility and accountability. You, you, mm. you know, you, you may be a, a company and then you can, you can uh, go to court, but then you go there as a legal person. Mm. Never, ever in, in history we've worked with collective responsibility in, mm. in, in courts. And, and that's what racial legislation, that legislation does. It mm. works with collective, because it works with the collective, collective guilt, it also then works with a collective advantage, and a collective advantage means I get something for free, I have not worked for it, and I feel entitled to it. No, 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 absolutely, and, and perhaps this would be best exhibited by the uh, classic Protestant work ethic, and that is that it's very much, the, the idea is very much what the individual does for the individual that goes into the society and the community that either that, it, that that individual chooses or naturally belongs to. It doesn't do away with the idea of communities, um, mm. and 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 that's what I th- and I mean you you see it in 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 a lot of the minority communities is they they're actually strong communities, but they have mm. individuals of high levels of, of achievement because those are what sustain those communities. Okay. Absolutely. What I just, the last thing I wanted to just canvas with you, and you, you talked about it, about the sort of, you know, overarching white guilt for apartheid, is the, what I think is the tragic situation, and I think most of us have felt it, where we've had children who've, who've, we've worked very hard to educate, who were born, or were very small, 
who were born outside of, of apartheid or very small when apartheid really died its 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 death, and they the, somehow this this racial transformation has decided that just by virtue of the color of their skin we will determine that they have guilt. It's, it's almost it's an original sin idea, um, and that they you know they're on their own, but they're certainly not going to be uh, encompassed by the state. Yes. Well, you know, that's why I think often I have to argue strongly with, with young people not to immigrate. Um, mm. Because I say, look, I think they, you, you can still make a living, mm. a very good living, lots of, of opportunities in South Africa, but just don't go and work for the state or for a big corporation because they, mm. you know, they're, they're in bed. Mm. Um, and, and yet, on the other hand, you know, here and there, uh, you get the ironic thing that recently, uh, the police started recruiting whites mm. because they didn't have enough whites, mm. <laughs> according yeah. to their formula. You know, so it's sort of a perverse way of saying, okay, let's let's get back to some sort of normality, but the normality would still be eighty nine ninety two. And, and well, it's, it's, it's tragedy that our young people are being disadvantaged as a, as a collective. Well, it's it, it, perhaps the last comment on this is just the bizarre situation of this uh, transformation that is that is so. Uh, rigid, is the uh, provincial netball team that was disqualified because in its uh, semi-final game, at one point in the game, at one quarter in the game, it only played black um, uh, uh, players. I mean, that that's a sort of a, a, a perfect example for the absurdity of the situation. Absolutely. I mean, one, one, one could laugh, but you also want to cry. Mm. Um, because mm. it, it's it's so unnecessary, and I think many of our sporting bodies have made good progress, and and it'll come. The point is, it is a work in progress, and you can't can't do it overnight. One last thing I want to say is that uh, someone phoned me um, after the article and said that he knew about a director in a certain province who um, was paid for a job as director. And uh, in, in an audit, they found that uh, she claimed another 10,000 rand each month. Um, and when they asked her what this 10,000 rand was for, she wasn't alarmed or anything. She said, yeah, I, I pay X because he's, he's doing the job. I have the position, he's doing the job. And she didn't find that strange at strange all. Strange at all. And, no. and I'm, I'm afraid that is more widespread in the civil service than, than we think. Uh, this conversation has legs that could go on for for some kilometres, if I can mix all my metaphors. Jens, uh, Dr. Eloff, thank you very, very much for being on the show and for uh, giving rise to what I think is an absolutely crucial discussion. Thank you, and thanks for the privilege to, to join you. My pleasure. And we now go to our final air break. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Welcome back and into the final stretch of the program, just to look at the issues that are likely to come up during the course of the week. And I can put in fair, fair generalities. We will talk. The Zondo Commission will no doubt continue to surprise, delight, and infuriate us. We will have to see what the new President Biden is going to be faced with immediately, and uh, it will not be fun. And the American media will go hysterical one way or the other. Um, the the whole obviously the lockdown the delay of schooling and all of the issues that pertain to it not least of all the vaccination rollout and cost 
um, I think that's enough to deal with for, for one week. It is sure as hell going to happen. Um, having said that, uh, I can't offhand think of anything that comes to mind beyond these, these, uh, these hugely important issues. Um, Perhaps uh, one of the things just to look at on the global sphere is relationships between the West, particularly the UK, the USA and Australia and China. That is going to be a biggie. It, 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 it throws up all sorts of crucial issues, moral, legal, political and international. And with that in mind, I'd like to say thank you very much for Staying tuned to us and hopefully we will see you next week. And if you, in the meantime, if you want to read anything enticing, inciting and classically liberal, please go to our website at dailyfriend.co.za. Thank you once again and see you next week. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.